You're listening to War for Idiots, a podcast by idiots for idiots. Good. So, as we commence recording, I have two observations. One, the ergonomics of your recording equipment are getting worse and worse. <laughs> like, I have to hunch my back to get close enough to this mic. No, no, don't put it there. That doesn't help. That it doesn't does. help. It helps. It doesn't help. Hey, hey, who's, who's, who's the technical genius here? The second one is at a range of approximately 200 meters. I hear a crow <laughs> just telling his mates, they're recording. They're recording. They're recording. Time to come. Hang out. He hasn't even got his soundboard. There's a big kangaroo just down there. Hopefully, he doesn't come and say hi as we're recording today. We call them roos in Australia. Okay. We do not call them roos. No one calls them roos. All right. Yeah, my soundboard's not So we are not recording. What is that? Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's my soundboard just testing. <laughs> you just pushed a button accidentally, didn't you? No, no, no. I, uh, I really meant to do that. Eddie Murphy quote. All right, shall we start? Shall we begin? Mm. Okay, count me down. I don't have count Can, Just count me down. Okay, hang on, wait. Okay, just, I've got a perfect thing for a count. No, 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 just count me down. Just go three, two, one. I just, I just need a count. Here's like standing back. Oh, I thought it was a count on that. Oh, my goodness. Wait, no, this is, this is different. Okay, hello, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, our podcast listeners from all of around the world, welcome back to another episode of War for Idiots. WFI. WFI? WFI? Uh, we are back and today we're talking about counterinsurgency. But who are we? Well, hello, my name is Rich and I am Rich the Durak. And uh, I haven't got the show notes up, so <laughs> and I, good, good. I am Mick the Dumkoff. So those are indeed German and Russian words for idiot. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you misspelled the German one. Anyway, so we are indeed the idiots you've been looking for. And today, on this episode, we shall be talking about a very interesting, a very topical and controversial topic, and that is the topic of counterinsurgency. Now, before we do, I do have my show notes ready. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you for your (laughs) unbelievable preparation. Excellent. So who are we? Well, I like to think of us as the Bill and Ted of war. Um, obviously, well, I'm whoever Keanu Reeves played, and you are the guy that no one remembers. Yeah, but Keanu Reeves <laughs> yeah. became John Wick, and everyone wants to kill him. Whereas the guy who no one remembers is probably living like oh, he's probably sweet. Dead. No one knows. <laughs> oh no one knows. Well, I think I think we, it's safe to assume he's not listening to this show. No, Keanu is that. <laughs> John Wick number two, excellent. Uh, We've got like okay, hashtag Keanu War for Idiots. Okay, so who are we? Uh, well, we are Richard, we are Mick, and we are here to talk about war today, but we're talking about it at an accessible level. Mm-hmm. Mick, what are we not discounting? The significance of war. We're well, just trying to make it approachable. Approachable. And today's war topic is that of counterinsurgency. Before we start, we like to start with a quote. So, Mick, would you like to please read today's quote? Yeah. I'd also like it on the record that I think you get me to read the quotes because, like, every two out of three quotes is calling themselves an idiot, but I'll just try Nothing is more humiliating than to see idiots succeed in enterprises we have failed in. Boom. Boom. That's a little message to all the podcasters out there who haven't got the ratings that we have. These idiots are doing better than you. Well, that's, we well, are. Oh, well, we're not the... Yeah. Well, we're not, we're, our stats are good. Yeah, that's what I mean. Um, but please, tell a friend about the show. <laughs> so that quote is from Gustave Flaubert. Flaubert. Uh, he is a French novelist, highly influential... He has been considered the leading exponent of literary realism in his country. Mick, literary realism, what is it? It's uh, a thing, man. It is not 
it counterinsurgency. Is not, it's not counterinsurgency. All right, here we go. Uh, but it is. Do, do we really want to go into literary? No, we definitely uh, do not want to go into that. <laughs> we barely like, stay on the topic yeah. as it is. Yeah. Okay, so before we start talking about counterinsurgency today, a uh, couple of caveats um, before we get into it. So, what are we doing today? Well, we're going to talk about counterinsurgency, and I'm going to think today's episode is, is a bit of a leveler. We're going to throw out this concept of counterinsurgency. We're going to talk yep. around the concept and throw it out into the community of like-minded individuals to start a debate going. Yep. It's going to be a leveler because no one recently has talked much about counterinsurgency. It's pretty much a brand new term. Um, so I think, and I'm sure you agree, that when you say counterinsurgency, people in or out of the military, they all think about things at varying degrees. And today we're going to attempt to just set a benchmark of what can be interpreted as counterinsurgency, yeah. and then you're either going to believe to the left or to the right of that. Or completely disagree and uh, tune in for the next episode because you're never going to put us down. But needless to say, counterinsurgency is something which I believe in recent time has been talked about a lot. And I ask you, Mick, of the dead Prussian, why? Why do you think or why could you hypothesise that recently counterinsurgency has been sort of on the tip of everyone's tongue? Uh. <laughs> Good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, so counterinsurgency uh, is popular uh-huh. because of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. So right. uh, Afghanistan after 2001 and the resurgence of the Taliban in 2006 quickly became a counterinsurgency fight. And yeah. then uh, Iraq um, devolving after the 2003 invasion into a counterinsurgency fight as well. So the focus of a lot of the Western world who have been... Um, fighting in the Middle East and Central Asia has been on counterinsurgency. Yeah. It also links back to Vietnam, which is a very hot topic because, you know, it was uh, seen as a superpower being defeated by non-superpowers. Although yep. you do a bit more Cold War history and you think there's a lot of superpowers already involved. But that was a counterinsurgency fight that the US lost. And, and why is this important? It's because the counterinsurgency uh, troubles and problems of the US in Vietnam War gave the US... Uh, institutional reticence to conduct the counterinsurgency war. Okay. And then fast forward 30 years later and they find themselves in the middle of counterinsurgency wars again. So people had to go back and hit the books because for 30 years they'd been trying to ignore it. So the question I ask you rhetorically is, but Mick, uh, is it counterinsurgency or is it a war? Because I thought Vietnam and Iraq were both wars, not counterinsurgencies. Yes, I'm Rhetorical not, question, I'm not which means you don't have to answer it, yeah. but we will go, come back to that kind of narrative uh, towards the end of today's really episode. Sure that was a rhetorical so anyway, before we start talking about counterinsurgency, I think it's worthwhile defining yes. all these terms. So let's send a benchmark out there. So uh, firstly, insurgency. I think before we talk about counterinsurgency, let's talk about what is an insurgency. So Mick, what is an insurgency? Uh, the definition we've got is yep. an active revolt or uprising. Okay. So that is basically when people are revolting. Right, and what do you think that means? Give us a bit more depth on... So it is when a group chooses to use uh, violence yep. um, to impose their political will on a government, sometimes legitimate, sometimes seen as illegitimate, but uh, against a government and overthrow that government. Right, so we're talking about violence. some sort of uprising. Yeah, I'm actually reading a good book at the moment called Insurgency Warfare by Seth G. Jones. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I'm 20 pages in, so I'm yet to know if it's a good book or not, but uh, it's, it's a weighty tome, so it's worth reading. So, if that's how we define what it, what insurgent, what an insurgent is, what an insurgency is, it's this uprising, you know, against a government or against yep. um, against something. Yeah, it's against government. Against government. So, what then is terrorism? That's a tactic. Right. That insurgents may apply. Okay. 
to achieve it. So insurgents generally, and you'll see this, uh, Mao Zedong uh, from China, some people may have heard of him, he was, he was an insurgent, and it's very interesting to see the way that he, his insurgency evolved. You know, they start off with terror tactics at the start, but by the end of the insurgency, he's waging full-scale armoured uh, warfare against the nationalist forces. Right. So insurgency is a revolt or an uprising. It's not necessarily about the tactics. It's about the right. type of political movement. Terrorism is about the use of terror yep. to achieve a political end, and terror uh, is using violent acts to intimidate, yep. um, threatening violent acts to intimidate, yep. whereas insurgency uses those tactics to for further their goals. It gets really bloody confusing. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the line between those two is so nuanced, in, in my opinion. It's and like mauve. So, but, but, there is a, but I think it's, it's important to say there is a definite difference there is between a, There them. is a difference. And you, if you are using terror tactics in another country, you're probably not an insurgent. No, that's but, right. But you are a terrorist. So uh, I did what most people would do, uh, Googled okay. what's the difference between insurgency and terrorism. Yeah. Uh, a lot of answers came up. One that I particularly liked, I think explained it quite well, uh, is something from uh, Thomas Hayden, a uh, retired Marine with over 35 years of government and defence industry experience. Now, he uh, put this out there 10 years ago when someone asked him, what's the difference between insurgency and terrorism? And he said, insurgency is best defined as an organised movement aimed at the overthrow or destruction of a constituted government through the use of subversive, espionage, terrorism and armed conflict. So there we, we see he's saying that terrorism a is subset. a subset yeah. of insurgency. It then goes on to say that terrorism is not an end in itself. Terrorism can be a subset of an insurgency, or it can be an act of violence by criminals or crazies who want to yeah. strike out at anyone, especially government. Lunatics. Tim Timothy McVeigh committed a terrorist act in Oklahoma City, but he was not part of an insurgency. No, so but he was crazy. But he was a crazy, and I keep using that term with inverted commas. Uh, I would take the inverted comma, Ryan, to say he was a crazy. In, and desvert that. Yeah. Okay. So that's the difference between sort of insurgency and terrorism. Let's go to counterinsurgency. Talk mm. us through. What does it mean? What's the definition of it? So it's a bit like a counter mill. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's not true. I'll look, oh, I will take it seriously. And is I'm actually going through the show notes for is, is counter is mill an American term? Will they understand what that means? I don't know. Counter, so counter mill. Counter mill for the Americans is when you're, when you're at, at a, a restaurant pub. and there's some at sort of uprising. <laughs> that's right. And people stop <laughs> And you're you really hungry. <laughs> No, it's a meal that you get at a pub called a countery. I don't know why it's called. It's called a counter meal because you, you they serve it across the, the bar or the counter. It's not the same as counter Let's edit this show and talk about counter meals. <laughs> Let's talk about counter meals bump, as an act of war. We want to bump our downloads. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to uh, military or political action taken against the activities of guerrillas or revolutionaries, okay. which is interesting. Um, the definition we've got here in the show notes is probably trying to stick really closely to that yeah. rule where you try not to use the word in its own definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in this one, read revolutionaries or guerrillas as insurgents, but it's yep. basically the military and political action taken against insurgents. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, you know, it's the opposite of what, you know, what whatever the insurgents are trying to do. It's the counter move to try to stop them from doing what they're going to do. But, you know, when I, when I look at this definition and we, we, we just go, the first thing we do is we just Google a very simple definition We don't we, just to, to benchmark it out there. I think this one is very simple, too simple, if you will. Um, you know, let's say that stating that 
a counterinsurgency is either political or either military, I think is divisive. Um, I think yeah. you know realistically, some sort of counterinsurgency uh, is more than that. Now let's let's assume that this definition says military and political action. At the end, I think this is perhaps as we'll go on to show, even too shallow of an approach towards a counterinsurgency um, problem as we go forward. Um, I think counterinsurgency is much more complex than this, and I think in itself, this is the reason why counterinsurgency has been confused. Uh, in sort of modern speech. Yeah. It's viewed as either political or either military, but even if you say it is political and it's military, you're only beginning to scratch the surface of what, in fact, a counterinsurgency cultural. is. Cultural. It's cultural. So, as we said, the difference between a counterinsurgency and a counterterrorism is pretty nuanced. Um, and I think the confusion sort of stems from there. Especially when we talk about how to defeat an insurgency and how to defeat terrorism. I think these wires can be crossed very often. Um, but I think in here lies the problem of drawing lines in the sand with definitions. You know, if we were to say to you here right now from War for Idiots, this is the definition of insurgency. Well, straight away, someone's going to point out something that doesn't align with that definition, but is still classified as insurgency. You know, the one that I can think of and based off our recent discussions is, you know, the, the, the situation that occurred in the border wars of Angolia, which I know was a, a topic of one yeah. of... Angolia is not a place, but... Angola. Ah, shut up. Um, Southwest Africa, let's just say that. Southwest easy. Africa, that, that area there where, you know, some of the parties that were fighting, you're reading them, you're like, hey, these are insurgent parties, yeah. but they're the ones sanctioned by the UN. Yeah. And you're like, okay, yeah. are they the insurgents when yeah, they're actually right. the yeah. proper party? From Can insurgents be good guys? That, that's a, a great question. Um, I think you could ask, you know, Americans that uh, against British rule quite a long time ago. Whoa, so, knowledge bomb. I know. So, so... I think counterinsurgency and insurgency itself has many different angles. And that's why when we draw a line in the sand for a definition, people are going to point out counter to it straight away. Your knowledge bomb just landed. That was a delayed fuse knowledge bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so right. to me, the fact that counterinsurgency is counterinsurgency, but at the same time, it's distinctly different from previous or future counterinsurgencies. This is something that's very hard to accept for people. And this is why the concept yeah. gets confused. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But size war is not a one-size-fits-all. Well, that is an incredibly good segue to... That was what, an incredibly loud well. Sorry, that we're going to talk to... I'm not the one wearing Don't headphones. Don't um, Mick. Yes. Hello, Mick. Classify counterinsurgency as a war. Can you do this or not? So, now, you... you tell me whether counterinsurgency is a war, and I'm going to throw some counter-arguments either way you go. Well, I'm going to question the question... Are you saying, is counterinsurgency synonymous with the word war? I'm going to say, is counterinsurgency, yeah, synonymous with the word, no, no, not synonymous, is, can you say a counterinsurgency war? Can you say counterinsurgency and not say war or, or vice versa? I like, I like the phrase counterinsurgency fight. Okay. But um, a war can be counterinsurgency based. Okay, tell me why. Uh, because counterinsurgency is... A little bit like terrorism, but counterinsurgency is uh, it's military and political actions, right? So it's not it's not the war in itself, but the war that you find yourself focusing may be solely an insurgent versus counterinsurgent war. But if you're using the word war, then surely this is me, you know, countering you. Uh, Don't counter my insurgency. Uh, this is my left parry. This, um, is, this is the counter mic. If if, if it's not a state-on-state -state conflict, can that be classified as a war? War doesn't have to be state-on-state -state conflict. Okay. In my opinion, war is uh, about the employment of violence between uh, groups of people mm -hmm. 
in order to achieve a political end. So for right. me, engaging in conflict against non-state actors doesn't mean that you're not necessarily um, just doing police action. You, you may be fighting a war against those people. Okay, but what if the warfare is asymmetric? What if you have well, a fully me if, if me mechanized force against you know, a couple of tribesmen who are just trying to do an uprising? Is that really war or is that more a policing action? Uh, you can determine a police action depends on how you go about it, who you get to do it. Okay. But you know, going back to the asymmetric bit, all warfare is asymmetric unless the war is still going and they're stuck in the um, Western Front. The Western Front came about because they hit a point of symmetry. The Western Front ended in World War One because it was asymmetry, asymmetry ended it. Right. So, um, and anyone who's about to go out there and start a war, mm. here's something to think about. If you are symmetrical with those you, you seek to oppose in that war, just give it time and either get more resources or think about how you're doing it. Because mm. if you are perfectly symmetrical with your enemy, it's not going to be a good war and you're probably not going to achieve your aims. So, going back to counterinsurgency, if you are, there's a difference between a police action and a counterinsurgency fight. Police actions can be part of a counterinsurgency war. Yeah. But not all police actions are counterinsurgency are wars. But let me throw let me throw it to you in another way. Don't throw anything I can't catch. But in a counterinsurgency, you're fighting, um, but you're also you know winning the hearts and minds. Winning the hearts and minds isn't part of war. Yeah, so you shouldn't be should not be taking anyone's hearts and minds. <laughs> and like, they are their and hearts and minds. Yeah, yeah. Unless this is like uh, the Walking Dead war. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's not to be done. No, that's right. So, but in in warfare and. People forget this about the the major, what we like to term, conventional wars. Yeah. You still have to deal with people and populations. Right. You still have to have a level of hearts and minds to get the people on board. Yeah. It might be, though, that you're a liberating force, and that's really bloody easy to do. So these three things that I threw at Mick, and he handled uh, very well, uh, what, what I would say is... Oh, that's good. Good. Um, are the sort of the sort of arguments that people sort of think about when they think what you know what is war on one hand and what war is, is war. what war is war what is war on one hand but what is counterinsurgency on the other hand and can these two hands come together and you know I, I think and you think that definitely yes and yes. That's, what, that's what they sound like it's called you know, clapping just because it's not state on state conflict doesn't mean it's not war just because it's asymmetric or seemingly asymmetric doesn't mean it's not yeah. war just because it's amongst the people and it might have a heart to mind component doesn't mean it's not war. Counterinsurgency yeah. lives on the spectrum of war. Yeah, you know, it does. Yeah. On the left-hand side of the spectrum, you have very low-level conflict. On the right-hand side, you have space conflict that we talked space about last war. time. And somewhere in the middle there, you have counterinsurgency war. And it might float. Exactly. And then, you know, I've written down here that war is scalable, and counterinsurgency is a scalable concept within the scale of war because you have different types of, you know, scaled counterinsurgency as well, where some counterinsurgencies look very one-sided. The Malaya example with the British and the Commonwealth forces, for example, fighting the communists uh, in there, the communists yeah. were not supported they, by anyone. They did take hearts and minds, literally. They were not supporting, they were not supported by anyone. And there was, you know, we're talking about pistols versus artillery kind of stuff. And then again, you, you look at the South African experience, they're, they're, they're fighting insurgents with tanks like, yeah, you know, right. and everything right. in between. So yeah. insurgency lives on this scale. But I think this complexity is what confuses people. Yeah, uh, it does. Um, some good books to read on it. Um, David Galula's um, book on Karen's energy warfare and his experiences in Algeria is interesting. Yeah. Also, Lawrence of Arabia's book, Seven Pills of Wisdom, 
is about his experience as an insurgent advisor yeah, with yeah, the Arab yeah. forces against the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Um, and you've got like the raft of the recent ones, you know, John Nagel's book, uh, Learning to Eat Soup with a Knife, about Malaysia and Vietnam. It's very, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. David Kilcullen's one, The Accidental Gorilla, is very, very specific and interesting about um, Iraq and Afghanistan. So there's lots of people find this very interesting to write about That's because right. it seems to be such a confusing topic. That's right. And they all approach it from a different angle. And, and we'll yeah. talk about those different angles. Yeah, these, um, I want people to read my book. Angle. In our summary. So what's out there? Has anything? Has anyone ever written well, anything? There's a big kangaroo just there is, over there. He's still, oh, he's laying down now. He's just yeah, I didn't see him before, but he is a you massive roo. massive over yeah. there. Um, so like the size of one of your legs. I stumbled, thank you. I stumbled across uh, this article on... War on the Rocks, which I think we can dissect uh, with some of the time that we have left. Now, it's by uh, David Ucko. Yep, David H. Ucko. It's called The Real Myths of Counterinsurgency. It's from a couple of years ago, June uh, 2014. It's a really good article. Um, in it, Dave, I think, would, would very much agree with us. It's a concept that's popular, counterinsurgency. It's a concept that people aren't talking about. And there's a lot of myths that surround the concept of counterinsurgency. I think he likes to be called Ux. Oh, Akko. Yeah, old Akko, Ux. So there's four myths that I think we can break down and we can talk about um, in detail. Yes. And the first one is that counterinsurgency theory holds a template for victory. Whoa. Discuss. Uh, I will say one because he's much smarter than me. <laughs> uh, I agree that it does not and it's a myth because people, people who... Uh, this has been one of the big problems with how much it's been written about. There's been lots of stuff written but sometimes people don't read the full book or they read half the book or sometimes the book's a little bit off. Bias. Bias. Yep. Some people might be a consultant for the military seeking future employment. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't template war. Can't template it. And if you can't template it in, in, in lots of other types of war, what makes Why you think you can Why would you try here? Yeah, I know. Specifically when counterinsurgency is so socio-cultural based. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what politics is. It's about the, you know, it's the interaction of... Uh, power structures within a culture. Yeah. So how is the Vietnam War going to help me solve Afghanistan? Well, there's general lessons that may be able to take in out of the context, but most of it's got to be contextualised. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, again, you go to you go to Nagel's book. Uh, I do. It's on my bookshelf. And, you, he, you know, he does a comparison between Malaya and Vietnam. And basically yeah. the thesis of his book is in Malaya, the British uh, were a learning organisation. And they, you know, it's, it's one of the first instances where uh, Templeton said, hearts and minds, we're going yep. to win the hearts and minds, um, versus Vietnam, where it seems like the Americans were not a learning organisation, and yeah. thus the British were successful, and in Vietnam they were unsuccessful. But I would say to Nagel, hello, yeah. like your book, really interesting, but I think it's unfair to compare these two uh, these two counterinsurgency campaigns because so much of the context was different. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there's so many more things that are yep. different than, than were the same that it, it's very, you know, I think... Just the basic support bases of the insurgents. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and the type of tactics that were appropriate and weren't... And, you know, it's very interesting talking about Vietnam and the Australian experience in Vietnam. Just uh, talked with a young historian at our war war who wrote a book called uh, Destroy and Build. And he actually talks a little bit about, you know, the tactic of moving people to villages. And, and yeah, this yeah. was big in Malaysia. It was. didn't work so well in Vietnam. And, and one, of the, um, one of the villages they created, they named it after, like, Water Springs or whatever. Yeah. Um, they built this village. No one came and lived at that village. Do you want to know why? Why? Because there was no water. Yeah, right. But they called it, like, Hope Springs or something like that. That's an interesting topic. Um, so that's an example of a particular technique from one war being applied to another war that may not actually have any relevance. Yeah. Or... They haven't gone the next step and just gone, let's think this through. That, Why would this work now? 
this this segues to the second point that I want to break down a little bit, and that's um, that count. And this is another myth that David is busting. Uh, busting counterinsurgency promises a kind of war. That if you're going to engage in counterinsurgency, this is going to be different from a you know an offensive air land battle type of war. This is yeah. about giving out hugs. This is about high fiving a local so that. When they come between high five and you are the insurgents, where you gave them a candy bar, so they're always going to come <laughs> to you. I think this is, you know, th that's an extreme aspect of the mythology, but I certainly think this mythology exists. And, and the example that I give, which you just touched on, is hearts and minds. Yep. So again, in the Malaya example, Templar, is, Templar who, who would come after General Briggs is, re is remembered for bringing hearts and minds to the Malayan. He won the hearts and minds. Yep. But if you look at what he did... He literally cut the minds off. He, he was extremely <laughs> coercive. Extremely coercive. You know, he had food Put out ransoms on the heads, like literally just exactly. the head. Food control. So uh, this village A, you, you have insurgents operating around you. I know you're supporting them. No food for you. You know what I mean? Until <laughs> yeah. the insurgents He stopped, was a food Nazi. You know I mean? He was literally... No food for you. He's literally a food Nazi. No, no, don't get me wrong. He was... He, he, he fundamentally changed it. He was incredibly good at And the, the, the sort of leadership that he provided was excellent from all accounts. We still but love I, you, England. But I think we need to understand that his hearts and minds wasn't about just hugs and high fives. It was about controlling, controlling their hearts the and minds. hearts and minds so that when they had to choose, you know, they would go with the one that they would have an easier path with versus the insurgents. And that and that's yeah. what he did. And I think people have gone, hearts and minds, hearts and minds, hearts and minds. It's just this sort of soft approach. But without coercion, you don't you don't judge and guide people. I think that's the harsh reality of counterinsurgency. Uh, and, and if you fast forward it to these days, like, you know, we're talking about Iraq and Afghanistan being counterinsurgencies, they weren't kind of wars. Like, like as an infantryman no. deployed to one of these places, your role was a little bit different than just being kind to people. As an artilleryman, well, there's only really one useful thing about me. Shooting candies to the kids. Shooting candies. Yeah. Um, lots of candy bombs. Lots of candy bombs. Um, and, and the necessity for people of our trades to be there was because mm -hmm. it was still a fighting war. It was still violent because because yeah. insurgencies are about employing violence. Exactly. So uh, it, it's one of those myths that people think, uh, and you saw, you know, it, if it's got war on the end of it, it's probably going to be a little bit violent. And I think that's and I think that's the the problem that we have is people go counterinsurgency and then it's full stop war. war, like two yeah. different categories. That's yeah, I didn't really think of that. That's well, we're, a good we're point. bringing them together. Okay, third. David makes you think, man. Third counterinsurgency myth: uh, that counterinsurgency wins or loses wars. Um, you know, in this uh, area, he's sort of exploring the, the mythology that just because you do a counterinsurgency by, by its own means that the entire war, yeah. the entire conflict will be won. Yeah. Where, as you said, it's, it's not the case whatsoever. Would be out of Iraq and Afghanistan by now, right? Correct. Absolutely correct. Right. But, like... a, but a, war, <laughs> a war is so many more things. And this kind of ties back to our definition of counterinsurgency that, um, you know, counterinsurgency by accordance with that definition was just military and just political. But... In this yeah. instance, if you want to win the war, you need to also think sociologically, yeah. economically, that's um, right. you know, almost theologically. You've got to think of all these different proponents. How to, many to schools do we build? Yeah, that's a good point. No one's going to the school, though. Exactly. Um, you know, exactly. How, many, how, many, how many poppy crops do we destroy? Oh, we destroyed the livelihood of about 2,000 farmers. Oh, yeah. what are they doing now? Well, we don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it, not it, to criticise anyone out there who came up with these policies, but you know, it's the second and third order effects that help a counterinsurgency technique succeed. It's not the fact that it's called a counterinsurgency technique. And finally, the final myth that Dave talks about is counterinsurgency proponents are interventionalists. Mm -hmm. I mean, that mm -hmm. is in itself an interesting concept, um, but like everything, you know, 
there's, there's many arguments against this. For example, let's use Malaya. Let's use Malaya. Uh, Malaya was British ruled. Britain understood that Malaya wanted independence. Britain was going to give Malaya yeah. independence, but it was not going to give Malaya independence so that a communist party could come and yeah. rule that nation. Now, you could argue that Britain was just protecting itself and the world from communism. Or let's, you know, that, that's certainly one way to look at it, and, and there's many arguments for that. Let's look at it as maybe Britain was morally trying to decolonize responsibly, trying to leave a self-governing yeah. Malaysia rather than... As long as it wasn't communist. Though, as so long as a little it, bit of interventionalism. Uh, a little bit of interventionalism. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it, it depends on the scope that you look at it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, well, there's, there, there's nothing to be said. Uh, there's nothing saying that a counterinsurgency war um, cannot be contained within its own borders, fought yep. by the constituted government versus the, the rebels, right? So the so a good example, and uh, people may not like that I've brought up this hero of the, the left wing, um, Che Guevara in Bolivia when he was defeated and killed. Yeah. Right? So a lot of people blame the CIA and the CIA interventionist. Well, most if of the, the CIA exists. If it exists. Uh, and if you're listening to this CIA, yeah, uh, tell your sitting in the, in the basement going, why have I been giving this podcast yeah, to listen to? Podcast? It's because we just said CIA. Tell your friends. Um, Tell your friends in the FBI. Um, <laughs> just kidding, they hate you. Um, but Bolivia fought most of that counterinsurgency campaign on its own. The US advisors over there were a train, train, train and advise. Yep. They didn't really go into the field. So yes, a, a ranger battalion was trained by the US yep. in the techniques, but who actually executed the counterinsurgency strategy to defeat Che Guevara and all his uh, band of merry men and one woman? It was the Bolivians. Yep. So... You know, and, and the US didn't necessarily do this to prop up the existing government because this was a terrible insurgency. It was a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, Guevara had it completely wrong when he went there and said, this place is ripe for an insurgency. So it wasn't about, for the US intervening, it wasn't necessarily about intervening in their way. It's just like someone goes, hey, we're a democratically elected government, we need support. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so interventionalist carries with it this baggage that you want to control the politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, the US definitely wanted to uh, interfere with South American politics, make sure it doesn't go communist. But if you look into the case of Bolivia, it's not as interventionist as a lot of people. There's a lot of frictions between the US and the Bolivians. And the Bolivians did most of that fight on their own. In fact, they're the ones who decided to kill him. Right, so what can that we take away? Deep. That was super deep. Yes. Especially, um, I got you so deep. especially for all our Bolivian listeners out there. Oh, man, were, I've been oblivious. It's a great place. They might have been oblivious to it all. You should go. Oh, my God. Did you just say <laughs> oblivious? Oh, my God. That joke was totally titty caca. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even say it. No, you said it. deep before. Okay, so what can we take away from this look at counterinsurgency? Well, hopefully we provided a general a general introduction to this concept of uh, counterinsurgency. And, you know, this is really pitched at the the listeners out there and really the the community that we have that are talking about topics like this. And let, let's just talk about counterinsurgency as what it is. Let's not talk about it from this angle, from that angle. Let's talk about it from all angles. And hopefully this will lead into some counterinsurgency case studies that we can sort of break down yeah. into the future. But my point to people out there is that if you have read about one counterinsurgency campaign, read about the next one. Then you know about one <laughs> counterinsurgency campaign. That's right. You don't know about all counterinsurgency. And I'm here to tell you right now, I do not know about all counterinsurgency. But one and thing- I'm here to tell you, I do. Because <laughs> I've read about them all. <laughs> exactly. One, but one thing I can I'm say kidding, is from my, my limited experience of reading about different counterinsurgency campaigns is that they're all incredibly different from each other. The only thing they really have in relation is the use of violence within the people and people call them counterinsurgency. And, and that's about all they have 
in common with each other. You know we got like 30 minutes in this show without saying COIN for counter students. Oh, we didn't say COIN once. It's COIN's awesome. the best acronym ever. Ever. Anyway. Okay, so as I said before, counterinsurgency is counterinsurgency, but counterinsurgency is not counterinsurgency all at the same time. And that's why it's confusing. More confusing that sentence, okay? It's a difficult term because people want simple answers, but counterinsurgency doesn't have simple answers. It's because people are simple. There are principles which transcend all conflicts, and Especially we'll talk about that another time. But again, each principle needs to be adjusted as each insurgency differs vastly from the last. And every time I think about principles that transcend different conflicts and transcend time, I think about um, H.R. McMaster, and when he wrote an article about why should you learn from history, and he said, yeah. you know... It's not about learning from history so that you don't make the same mistakes in the future. That's what most people will say. But yeah. realistically, what he's saying is you read and you learn and you study history so that in the future, you are not so far off the mark that yeah. you cannot adapt to so what you need to you adapt to. You can recognize patterns. You can recognize patterns. You can ensure that you're not just stagnant in the one area and you can do what you need to do. Do you want so, to hear my favorite uh, reading history joke? Yes, you do. Good. Um, people who don't read history yeah. are doomed to repeat it. Uh, yeah. People who do read history are doomed to watch other people repeat it. When, when does the joke part happen? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the two and a half historians that listen to this show are loving that joke. Are they, right I now. bet they're not. I bet they're not. You know why? Right in. You know why? Because they haven't listened to this far ever. <laughs> <laughs> They've stopped listening. With good They've reason. stopped listening by now. Are we still recording? All right. So, look, we hope you enjoyed our introduction and our take on counterinsurgency. We yep. hope that you. Uh, have some ideas counter to what we have to say. <laughs> or you have ideas. Counter ideas. Counter which, meals. Or which you would like to uh, to add to us as well. So get on social media. Let's start the debate. You can Hashtag counter meal. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, that's www.facebook.com backslash war for idiots. Yep. We're on Twitter quite a bit. Uh, this is probably one of the first episodes that Mick hasn't tweeted. Mid-episode, leaving me I've been texting my out wife. to dry. I'll gotcha. <laughs> so you can find us on uh, at war numeral four idiots. Mick, where are you at? Uh, I am at Mick underscore cook. And I am at Richie underscore TTT. Merchandise continues to be unsold. Yes, that's um, right. It, uh, it is. I think the problem is it's too high quality and too, too awesomely priced. That's right. You people can't handle you can't the merchandise. Handle the How's hey. that? Anyone Reverse out psychology. there who is not wearing a t-shirt right now, get online, buy us one. If you like pens instead of t-shirts, yeah. buy our coffee mug and you can stick your pens in it. Um, for, if you're listening to this podcast and you buy a coffee mug right now, uh, you will also get a t-shirt at cost price, which is whatever you'll pay for the t-shirt. I, don't know, I was yeah. just trying to make yeah. up an offer that sounds but that's amazing. okay. I was just going to use the caveat that you said that at um, 24th of October, 1554, and therefore yeah. no one yeah. would have been able to listen and buy it at that time. That's right. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, we, if you're still listening right now, we well done. About anyway, if you want there. to join the debate on counter insurgency with us, hashtag countermeal. We will bring you a campaign later on. Well, until next time, this is Rich. And this is Mick. And remember that we may be idiots, but so are you. Bye-bye. War for Idiots is a TDP production. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation. The music used during War for Idiots is Fireworks by Jazar and is used under an attribution share alike 3.0 international licence.